0: Welcome to A Healthy Exchange, brought to you by Rural Health Pro's Grow, Connect, Thrive, Be Inspired initiative, which aims to help enhance the capability and wellbeing of the New South Wales health workforce, particularly in rural and remote areas. Before we start, we acknowledge the traditional custodians on the lands of which we work and live. We pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Although Prue Wheelwright is still in her thirties, she's had more than her share of adventures. Growing up in a family of Merino sheep farmers in New South Wales, Southern Tablelands, she says she learned about the cycle of life through the various droughts they survived. She remembers mass graves being dug for livestock and dusty paddocks longing for rain. After allowing her mother to choose her career for her, which we'll get into later, she found herself caring for severely disabled adults in London. At the tender age of 18. She then joined Medicine Sands Frontiers and travelled to Africa to work in a maternity hospital before travelling to Tajikistan on a paediatric HIV project. Prue, welcome to A Healthy Exchange and I'm looking at the background there. Where are you calling in
1: from? I'm calling in from Alice Springs. And is that where you're based at the moment? That is, yes. Yeah, oh, great.
0: Great. Well, it looks a beautiful day there.
1: It is, sun shining, blue sky, got a pool just behind me, about to jump in. (laughs) It's hard to know
0: where to start with your impressive story, Prue, but let's begin in those early dusty paddocks of your childhood and uh, the animals you helped raise. How do you think those years have helped shape and influence you and your career?
1: Look, it's a really good question. I think being um, from the farm, being a farmer's daughter raised on a farm, you become very, you don't even realise it, but you become very inept at the ability to readjust because nothing goes to plan on a farm. There's no, I'm going to go fix that fence today and then you wake up and it's pouring down with rain or something else has come up that's more urgent or it's just you just become very good at readjusting and reprioritising your trajectory for the day per se and I think that's definitely um, helped me and who I am today just um, being able to come up with plan A yep that's what I want to do but then you might be by plan H by the time the um, day's through and you haven't even got to plan A like it's just the readjustment the ability to kind of just roll with the punches really and see how, how the day progresses because things don't go to plan on the farm and I think um, that's definitely helped my career.
0: You've got a great love for travel and adventure. Um, yes. And you've got a very caring nature as well. How did all of that come about?
1: It's a good question. I don't know. Um, it's uh, what nurture versus nature. I have no idea. My family there's a few adventurers and stuff, but not many in my immediate family. My brother he used to travel a lot, but I I don't know. It's and we have no nurses in my immediate family. We've got a few physios. But no kind of doctors, nurses, we were never in the healthcare system. So it's not like an auntie said, oh, I'm a nurse, you should be a nurse. It was, it's just kind of evolved that way. So honestly, I, can't, I don't know where it's come from. It's just kind of, I'm fortunate enough to have fallen into a job, which I absolutely love and just have that natural caring nature about me. And that also the willingness for adventure and jumping into the deep end and going into the unknown is just part of who I am.
0: I wonder if that caring for for you know animals and having that responsibility led to that in some level.
1: Look, perhaps, but our animals we we had uh, about 7,000 seven to ten thousand sheep, so we never really had the potty lambs or anything. We used to hand them off to um, people down the road that could take better care of them. So we didn't kind of have the one-on-one nurturing of animals. We looked after the herd, not just the solo animals.
0: So nursing then, you've said that there's been no family history in that. How did you decide on this path?
1: Uh, That is a common question and one that um, the story goes, my mother kind of decided it for me. I finished school and went overseas to England for a gap year, which at that time, many, many, um, that was just the thing people did. And so I went overseas to England and then ent- actually ended up in a um, disabled home in Tunbridge Wells, which is south of London, for six months. And then from there I went and just travelled and ended up in Yorkshire doing a fencing contractor, so out on the hills, stapling in fence posts. But then mum rings me up one day saying, you know, uni applications have to be in. What are you going to do? And I had no interest in going back to uni I'm not an academic I don't enjoy studying it's not who I am I'm a tactile practical learner and so I was just like nope, I'm not coming back I'm just gonna live out here and you know I love I love what I'm doing now I'm just gonna continue this and that wasn't the deal so mum she's like well you're going to uni that's non-negotiable and I said you fill out the forms for me because I don't care and so she put teaching nursing down on the application forms and sent them in and then I got into a nursing degree and no regrets no regrets like I did not want to go to uni as soon as I got to uni it was great it was more of a social scene than an actually study scene and my brother went to the same uni so we had a great um, social life and it took me four years to do a three-year degree was of the parting and the social aspect? Um, but it was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, absolutely no regrets. It's just gone from strength to strength. And if someone asked, what would you do if you didn't do nursing? And honestly, I'm so fortunate that I love my career. And um, I don't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else.
0: Looking back on your career, and you've done some pretty incredible things that we'll dig into as we go through our, our chat. But can you tell us what some of your personal highlights are that stand out in your mind?
1: There's countless like from the midwifery perspective, is just being with women, with women to birth a baby and be there for that whole um, process, and then watching a woman become a mother, and just being witness to this incredible thing. Yeah, there's no kind of one story that comes about that. It's just a really, really special. A moment to be part of, especially if it's low intervention and the medical system kind of has kept at bay a bit and it's a bit more natural process. Um, I would enjoy that more, but equally so, some um, women need to have an instrumental or a caesarean section and that can be just as beautiful. But one actually story that does stand out is in Ethiopia, we had a woman that had a miscarriage and she'd actually continued bleeding. And so she was quite anemic and quite unwell when she came to us. And incredibly, she spoke perfect English coming from a refugee camp. And I was just chatting with her, and it was so lovely to converse with a patient in Ethiopia because the language barrier was immense and so chatting to her turns out we were born in the same year and her whole story she just told me about and then slowly slowly through very very limited intervention that we could give in um, Ethiopia we got her better and got her home again and being able to converse with her and having those conversations and all the same age very different lives very different reasons for why we were there yeah that was quite just quite special quite a nice memory. So you've worked
0: in some fairly extreme environments yes. and I guess it's fair to say, you know, working constantly in a heightened crisis mode almost that has to have a profound impact on you physically and and emotionally. What have you learned about your well-being and, and managing your well-being in some of those extreme environments?
1: Yeah, again, good, very good question. I think I'll spend a lifetime trying to perfect this. I don't think I'll ever be able to completely be on top of it. But um, through a series of making mistakes where um, giving my absolute all, my mental, my physical, my spiritual self into a job and then coming back home after that and then I have absolutely no idea which way was up I couldn't I couldn't readjust it took me a long long time to readjust back to the world that I grew up in and because I just gave everything and I didn't I didn't have a work-life balance at all I just had work and as pieces of a pie you're meant to kind of have equal elements of all your life into this pie and then all my pie was was just work there was nothing else there wasn't any any room for anything else and um so, learning from that, I've definitely learned that work-life balance is essential, and I think I've, pr- I'm getting on top of it now. I do a nine-week on, nine-week off um, work with the Royal Flying Doctors at the moment. So I've just came back from ten weeks, tra- well nine weeks, travelling in Europe, and now I'm back for nine weeks working, and then that balance is really lovely because I can give my all for the nine weeks, and then I can have nine weeks off to, to do the things that I enjoy that don't involve work. <laughs>
0: And that's interesting. Uh, a couple of people I've spoken to around uh, in this podcast series have mentioned the importance of you know in medical profession in particular it, it is all consuming and it is you're on and you're really on and it's important to have something outside of medicine that you can step away to is travel that for you?
1: Yeah, look, I think it does have, definitely have a certain element of that when when I can and when I'm able, but to combine travel and work, it's a really nice, really nice thing to be able to combine them both. But in my general day to day, um, simple aspects of coming home and cooking a nice meal and like putting nice food on the table, that's a nice balance of like giving everything to my work but then I can provide myself a delicious, nutritious meal at the end of the day. And that's just kind of makes that balance of giving everything, although most days when you have an exhausting day, you don't wanna come home and cook. But um, to be able to do that, it's, it's a nice um, thing to do. Or, yeah, tr- well, travel is brilliant, but obviously you can't do that all the time. Um, simple things, going for a run, help um, in the day-to-day, looking after yourself, catching up with a friend, debriefing. Um, I journal, so, you know, big day, I'll go home and journal and just just ribble and it's an illegible and you can't read it and it's just but if it's not in here it's like on paper then i can close that book and be done with it for the day and that's that's that helps me but yeah no it's a forever changing evolving situation and how people deal with that but it's very essential in our profession
0: a healthy exchange podcast is brought to you by rural health pro with the support of the new south wales ministry of health if you care about keeping rural Australia healthy, then Rural Health Pro is your community. The Rural Health Pro platform connects health professionals with colleagues, scholarships, training, and career opportunities to help them thrive. It's free and easy to join. Visit RuralHealthPro.org today. We touched on it earlier. You have um, worked in some fairly extreme environments and in some challenging conditions, and. I've had the great pleasure of reading your your book and you talk about you know the work's not done when you leave how do you emotionally deal with 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 that knowing that you've you've gone in you've done your contract for the for the time frame but then you have to step away hand over to somebody else and and step away from that
1: look I think the first time you do that the first time you kind of do a contract and and then being and then leaving—that's really tough. Like it's there's so much work to done. You've you've developed a rapport with the community. You're kind of you understanding about what's going on. You know your follow up that needs to happen. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, time's up. Off you go. It's tough. It's a really um, you just really have to disconnect from it. I think and then trust that the next person that's coming in will give their all and do the best they can for the community or wherever you're working and walking away from. It is tough to kind of do that and I think practice and keep doing it, I think that definitely gets easier. The first couple of times it's definitely hard but now I find it easier and also being a bit older now, I can kind of, yeah, I've done my time, I've done my contract, I can now tread away and then I can look after me now and and being okay with that before I would think that was selfish or I shouldn't be doing that because other people need help so why would I look after me but now I, I really do prioritise my mental health and spiritual health and all that over work I can kind of I know my limitations now which is nice but I definitely took exceeding those limitations um, and suffering to learn those learn those limitations and boundaries.
0: Well just on that what, what were some of those hardest moments and how did you manage to work through them?
1: One of the very difficult moments was in, again, in Ethiopia. I'd been there for nine months. So I was due to finish my contract and uh, world shortage in midwives, nurses, everything. They were finding it difficult to have a get another midwife to come and replace me. Fortunately, they found one. Um, and then, so I was like, yes, they've found somebody. It's so great. And then, so I put uh, my heart and soul into making her welcome and to come up with a massive like I think I wrote 4,000 words of like what was happening because we're kind of in between projects and we're opening up a new maternity and there was so much going on and there was just so much little loopholes that I only learnt because I was I made the loopholes I, like I was there I was developing it so I needed to kind of write down so it would just make her life easier and so I had this whole thing and I told all the team that this woman's coming in and blah 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 and um got really yeah so I was kind of Felt like I already knew this, knew this human that was coming in to take over from me. And then um turns out that sadly she was in a car accident on the way to the airport to fly into Ethiopia and she passed away. So I got a phone call saying this lovely human isn't coming anymore. She's actually passed away in a car accident. And that absolutely shattered me because she was first-time MSF worker, which I was a year prior. Um, She was about to sign on for nine months to get away, like to be away from her family and all those things and all those emotions. So I felt really connected to her, um, even though I'd never met her before. And then to find out that she'd passed away and then they didn't have a midwife to replace her, obviously, Um, and then I was it and then how am I meant to leave if there's no one to replace me can I go do I have to stay how is this navigated it was really um, really tough and there was definitely a lot of tears a lot of debriefing with um, my project manager and a lot of conversations of like okay I can I think I can give another couple of weeks but I can't really because I promised my niece I'd need to be home for a sixth birthday and I can't break her promise to a six five year old um, so like it was it, that was really tough and I think only through going those situations is how you learn And how I I don't know what I did to kind of overcome that. It was just a fact that that's what happened and, you know, life moves on and don't let it eat you alive. Just kind of, okay, she's not here. I'm here now. Let's, you know, tell the team. Let's, you know, start from scratch and let's just make whoever's going to replace me, let's um, concentrate on that now and hopefully they find a replacement. And fortunately, they did, um, and I had about two hour handover with her, which was not enough. But um, yeah, so and then the situation just evolved. But that was really, really tough. And I don't know what my learning points for that was, but it was definitely a rememberable tough situation to be in.
0: How important was your team around you at that time?
1: Essential. They they were my family. They were my rocks. They were. I've told people a thousand times like I went over there to to assist where I could, to teach, to do everything that I could that was required of me in that project but I came back so much better off than when i left like the skills i learned over there from my midwives my family the, the people that were in the same situation was exponential and i will forever have those skills because of them
0: and do you think it was your time working uh, internationally in those environments that helped you where you are now with the royal flying doctor service in australia
1: yeah, look, it's 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 a really interesting question. It's the, um there is some quite concerning similarities between a refugee camp in Ethiopia and some of the indigenous communities, but yeah, no, I think um, living um, being a remote worker and being autonomous and being solo and all those things that I was in Ethiopia and Tajikistan, it definitely has helped when I'm out in the community and I'm solo and fully autonomous and the logistics of trying to get from A to B and then having to adapt to just the situation as it arises. I think all those, it's just life experience. It's just definitely helped me to work with the Royal Flying Doctors and I think it does help with my day-to-day work, working progress. The remoteness of
0: working in the Australian environment You've just mentioned that, you know, you do have to go out um, in community solo. How do you prepare for that, not only the remote sense of it, but then also, you know, in in the case of if there is a, an emergency and you're the only person on the ground, how do you deal with that?
1: Again, it's rolling with the punches and being adaptable and flexible to changing situations. Working for years as a nurse and in emergency it is uh, any emergency nurse will tell you you know they're just looking after some low priority cases and then all of a sudden there might be two high priority P, um, priority ones that come in within 10 minutes of each other and then it's all hands on deck so I think doing it remotely yes it's a little different because you're solo or you're just with one doctor or something it's definitely different but the the feelings are the same you go from zero to 110 just at the flick of a finger when things can go catastrophically wrong which they do so I think yeah it's just a I don't know how you kind of learn that or anything especially for I think you just you start at the bottom and you be exposed to the quick change in pace in an emergency room for when you first start nursing and you just like how the hell did you know I was just I came out from the toilet and everything was fine when I went in and then our route, now everything's chaos and there's people everywhere and there's screaming and it's just like how did that change so quickly that it's just being exposed to that that makes you learn and makes you more adaptable to the changing situations so exposure has a lot to do with it and yeah fortunately I've worked in many many places where things can change very quickly as I do in most environments but um yeah you just roll with the punches and prioritize accordingly and communicate to your team as best you can and escalate where necessary yeah there's there's protocols in place to help with all this but also a lot of just life experience I think helps
0: how important is having a good mentor in in these types of situations
1: um, look really helpful for debriefing and just having having those moments of sheer imposter syndrome and thinking where you don't you don't belong here and talking to your mentor or um, and just having those conversations about you know what the hell am I doing I don't know what I'm. this is horrible I've had a bad day and then I'm just reminding you that no you are doing everything you can and you are doing a good job and you are where you're meant to be and um, I think it's really essential to have a mentor um, whether that's someone in your direct everyday contact or whether that's a, a nursing colleague that you met many years ago that's just kind of becomes that go-to for that conversation of it's a bit overwhelming what what do I do now and I think it's definitely definitely necessary.
0: Now, I've mentioned you've written a book, The Flying Nurse. What prompted you to write this book?
1: Look, I never, never, ever set out to write a book. It was never my agenda. It was never a lifelong dream. It wasn't a part of my bucket list. It just came about with a series of saying yes to things, which tends to be in my personality too. I spoke to a person and then they had written a book with Hachette and they said oh my god you need to write a book your story is so cool and I was like oh yeah that's great um I journal everything's actually already written and then that eventuated to a meeting with Hachette which eventuated to a contract which eventuated to getting a ghostwriter because as I said before I am definitely not academic and writing 70,000 words about myself myself that's a nightmare so I gave all my journals very trustingly to a ghostwriter and she actually developed the story from those journals and then through my help with editing and everything it's evolved into a book which took about two years to from beginning to end to complete so it's been a um, very interesting process but one I was never Endeavoured to set out and do, but I'm very proud of it, and to have it out there and to inspire others, and that's been really lovely.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great book. I've I've mentioned. I've read it. I would recommend everybody read it. It is It is very inspirational. Through the process, did you learn anything about yourself?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's a good question. I think, yeah, I think long reflection, absolutely, like looking back and um. Reading my story back to myself from the ghostwriter that was really interesting because I'd be reading, going, Oh my god, what happens next? and I'd be like, It's my story, Prue, you know what happens next. Um, but I think getting from her perspective of reading my journals and her what she took from it made was a little bit different to what I thought of myself, so that was it was kind of um, yeah. It was, it, was just kind of like, oh, okay, she took that from that. I'm like, okay, it's not wrong. But, you know, I was kind of meaning it this way. And so we'd have those discussions during our many conversations. Yeah, I think I'd probably say yes to too many things probably. <laughs> <laughs> and probably a probably bit overly trusting in a lot of um, situations, which is, again, um, I could probably work on a bit, not, not to trust people so quickly off the bat. But, yeah, no, I think that's probably something I've learned from the whole book process. Did you find it a
0: therapeutic, positive experience? I um, mean, we are we making a joke about it, but, uh, you know, uh, you've got a lot to say and a lot of experiences to share. Was
1: that confronting kind of reading that back or was really it? It really was, and, and it was a massive, oh, again, like massive imposter syndrome, who's going to want to read my story? Why am I so special to be able to write a book? Like that's why does anyone want to read my story? Like I'm nothing special. I surround myself with incredible nurses that I work with daily and overseas. Like there's so many incredible stories out there. Why? Do I get the opportunity to write my story and do I really want to write my story and how much am I willing to give away in that story? So, no, it was a definitely a massive process and an element of trust massively went into it and I had to constantly question myself about the reasons why I was doing it and have to remind myself why was I doing it and then I went through massive weeks of like I'm just pulling it. I don't want, I don't want my story out there. I just, I, it's not, I just don't want people to read my story. And then it all came back down to the simple fact of influence um, and being a positive inspiration to some you know, young new nurses out there that want to travel the world, that want to do all the things and have got that caring ability to then yeah, hopefully inspire them to go from a small country town to then travelling the world and working around the world and having incredible opportunity. So those simple aspects of inspiring others um, was the reason why I followed through with it. But it was, it was tough. It wasn't um, all smooth sailing, that's for sure.
0: Nursing is both an extremely rewarding but also personally taxing career choice.
1: Yes. <laughs> what um,
0: what advice do you have for new nurses who want to support their health and fitness both physically and mentally throughout their careers?
1: I think probably the one of the main things to learn and we kind of touched on this earlier is the ability to shut off, ability to kind of finish your day Hand over and then walk out, walk out those doors and then everything that happened in that day leave in that building don't don't take those home with you, don't go home and dwell on what you did or didn't do or and we as humans we I know for me and many of my friends we concentrate on what we did do wrong, not what all the things that we did do right so if you can turn off that somehow and just leave all those feelings and emotions and everything at work and then you leave and then whatever makes you, gives you joy in life, whether that's going for a run, whether that's having a nice meal, whether that's going for a wine with a friend, whether that's shutting yourself off in a dark room and just breathing for half an hour, whatever it might be, allowing yourself to do that and not kind of pushing and not, and not spiraling with what happened in that day and the trauma that you saw or the joy that you saw or the, patient that you couldn't get to because you're too busy or you think um just being able to disassociate and allowing yourself to disassociate from it when you do close those doors and giving everything when you're there but when you leave just giving everything back to yourself
0: one more question before we let you go yeah what's next for you do you have a career bucket list of destinations you'd like to work or even to visit? it
1: Look, it's a really good question and uh, people keep asking me this is what's next because I have lived my life with what's next. It was, you know, I want to go to Saudi Arabia and now I want to join MSF and now I want to join the Royal Flying Doctors. Um, being part of the Doctors now um, is lovely and with having the nine weeks on, nine weeks off, um, it allows me time to, you know, put, give everything to work for those nine weeks and live in beautiful Alice Springs, which I love. Highly recommend everyone come here. Look at that blue sky. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any career progression kind of ambitions at the moment. I'm actually going back to study next year. Um, there's a course on at UTAS, which is Healthcare in Extreme and Remote Environments. And that's just to emphasize and learn more about what I'm doing in my day-to-day anyway, but to become better. that and just I have the ability to go back and And I hate studying I don't even know why I'm doing it but I just feel like I can and I have the time so I'll just try and improve my um, skills um, in this field for the time being and hopefully do another MSF contract in the near future. Well Prue it's
0: been an absolute joy speaking with you today thank you for your time and for sharing your adventures with us. Thank you Lisa. You can find Prue's book, The Flying Nurse, in all good bookstores and I can genuinely highly recommend it. It's a great read. Again, Prue, thank you and thank you to our listeners for joining us on A Healthy Exchange.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate your time.
0: A Healthy Exchange is produced by Rural Health Pro, funded by New South Wales Health. For more information, visit our website at ruralhealthpro.com Dot org forward slash s forward slash new south wales health that's ruralhealthpro.org forward slash s forward slash new south wales health in the meantime please like follow and share thanks for listening the information provided in this podcast is of a general educational nature only the views expressed are that of the presenters and not of new south wales health or rural health pro